Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Sydney, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. We are at the very beginning of the fourth industrial revolution. This means we are facing an era of accelerated and exponential change in many aspects of our lives, which requires us to adapt and learn. Change is Florence Guild's 2019's theme, and to start the conversation, we ask, how do we tend to respond to change and challenges? How do we grow our confidence and abilities to achieve our goals and desires in today's world? To answer these questions, we've invited Joanna Ferrari, the transition specialist, to talk about the champion's mind. Joanna has transitioned or reinvented herself over 21 times during her life, from child to entrepreneur at 15, from sales to executive at 34, from executive to international speaker at 38, from moving her life and family from Chicago to Australia to be the CEO of a major business at 46. However, none of these transitions would be as big a change or challenge as she encountered at 53 in her gender transition from male to female. Joanna Ferrari teaches audiences how to harness the power of transitions with models and formulas she's designed called Transbehavioral Science, developed from drawing on her 30-plus years as a successful business leader, combined with her incredible life experiences. Dare to embrace change. A Florence Guild conversation with Joanna Ferrari. Thank you. Thank you. First things first. Shoes off. <laughs> Um, thanks for coming out tonight. Um, I know it's, um, it's probably kind of unusual. We've got a small group, and what I want to do is I want to make this a conversation. And um, I've been through a lot of change, and people are always want to know about what happened with your, you know, your gender change. But my gender change wasn't um, the biggest change that I um, actually have incurred. It was the biggest change that I went through, and I ended up living in change, not just going through changes for the last six years, because it'll be six years in April that I transitioned my gender. Um, but what I want to do is, since we're going to try and make this a little bit more of a conversation, because I want you to be able to leave here with some good ideas, some things that maybe will actually influence you in your life, um, and to do with change, because people don't really have a good opinion of change. It's become the new nemesis in the world anymore, you know? So what are you most afraid of? Change, ooh, I think it's actually got a, a better, a worse name, I should say, than even public speaking anymore. So um, I, I love words, and I'll tell you what I love about words. Um, I'll, I'll explain how I created this thing called transbehavioral science. And when I started studying this, I realized how much people got definitions wrong. We use these new definitions. It's like this new dictionary 
that, you know, where you can actually make up your own idea about what a word means. And it's just so ridiculous. Try to have a conversation when, you know, you're, you, when everybody has their own definition, and it's really difficult. Um, but that's what it feels like. So what's your word for change? Fear is one that always comes up. Evolve is probably the second biggest word that I get when we're talking about change. Profession, never had it before, congratulations. <laughs> um, energy, positive and negative energy. Um, I get that sometimes, but I don't get the positive. I usually get the negative energy because people um, actually have a tendency to put change outside of themselves. They don't see it as something that they can affect, something that you can use, as you said, to review to actually create change. And it's why we get into a lot of situations where um, we think that things have happened to us and there's nothing we can do about them. So these are some absolutely brilliant words, okay? Um, so let me ask you this, Where, in what part of your life do you, do you see change? I can tell you, it's, it's really interesting because people often um, will say, oh, so what's it like to be a woman? And I said, well, I'm not a woman. I mean, for 53 years, you know, I was male, so I've got more of a, the same path as you do, right? So um, when I decided to go through my change, I changed my chemistry, I've augmented my body, but you can't change your biology. So I was male and I live female. Um, and I believe that's important because it leaves me to have my values, my belief systems, my respect for women as who they are. So I often get called, and we talked about this, I'm a, very much a trans contrarian. I don't believe that um, trans women should be playing sports against women. So a trans woman was in the MMA and she fought some, uh, some other woman and she got her ass beat and I couldn't have been happier. <laughs> Seriously, because I just don't believe that, that you cross over some of those lines. So um, yep, hormones do change. Are you kidding? These are keys. Yes. These are keys to so many things. But you want to know the most interesting thing? I cross over the gender line, I'm taking hormones, I get my IQ test, it went up five points. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun to share that. <laughs> Probably because I went with the red here. That, no, that just made me crazier. So. <laughs> okay, so those are some things that change. So what things don't change? What things, what's that? <laughs> education, I'll go with that. <laughs> education does not change, right? Oh, Trump. Oh, thank you. Still a dickhead, so, yeah. I was saying earlier, so when people, uh, people say to me when they hear my accent, oh, um, what do you think of Trump? I say, oh, no, I'm Canadian. <laughs> We're not having that conversation, so. Um, what doesn't change? Think about things that don't change. Sure, but a marker change did not change humans. Human beings have not changed. What, what is the constant? Yes, what is the Human beings. Our, our physical, our mental, our use of our physical and mental okay. capabilities, sure, skills. Um, the biology for sure hasn't changed. Has the uh, anatomy changed? 
nothing about the anatomy has changed. Now we can know how to augment it better. Now we've got things as, as broad uh, scope as nanotechnology to enhance it, but the human being has not changed. Well, I'll give you a great example. So having gone through my gender transition, I go in to see, I've got a general practitioner. Um, I've gone through, and this is very personal, so I apologize, I don't want to offend anyone. Um, I've actually gone through and had my um, sex reassignment surgery. And then afterwards, I have a gynecologist, and I go in and see her. And it's the first time she's ever encountered someone who is transitioned their gender. And she says to me, oh, I need to go find out more about transgender in order to help you. I said, do you not know what a man or a woman is? And she says, of course I know what both of those are. I said, well, stop trying to create something new out of something that doesn't need to be created new. There is no such thing as transgender. It's a phase, it's a state. It's not a change in a human being. I've changed myself chemically. I've augmented my body, but does that make me a woman? No, it doesn't. So I still stand by my statement, human beings don't change. You can augment a tremendous amount. You can adapt us to anything. We become extremely adaptable from that other being that we were to now, we're still human beings and we actually have encountered so much adaptability, so much environmental change. So things change around us at the pace of, at the speed of light, don't they? And they seem to be getting faster. But why don't we change? But having gone through what I've gone through, what I realized is that I stopped, I had to ask one question as I was going through this. What is honesty? What is honesty? And this led me to understand that human beings don't change. Why? Because we lie to ourselves all the time, don't we, coach? We lie to ourselves to the point where we actually believe who we say we are. And the reason that we would see change as a person, not as a human being, is in our life we would see change because we may have changed a belief system or because we stopped lying about something. And you want to know what most people do? They change lies. They don't even go to honesty, right? So, you know, when you go from person to person, one person can lie this much, another person can lie this much, but they both feel honest about it. Okay, so there's another thing that you have to actually work, it's another word that you actually have to put in when you're looking at change, and you have to, whoops, I'll change that. You have to start asking, what is the truth? What is my truth, okay? You can't always, you can't say the age old question that no one can answer is, who are you? Who are you? Did that, did that not work for you? Ah, <laughs> there actually is for an individual. Oh, for an individual. Yes, yes. But, the in, but here's the thing, and I will tell you this before you even say it, truth is not debatable for the individual. It's not. But what we've done is, if we take and we're all living all these lies, as soon as someone starts to actually live their truth, guess what we do? Then we change. Okay? We always go back to trying to pull that person out of their truth back into their life. Why? Because it makes us comfortable simply because human beings don't change. And we want people back in that comfort zone. So I'll give you more proof. You take a year and you flip that year over, right? So one year over here you call 2018, you flip it over and guess what? 99.9% .9 of the population lives 
2018 under the guise of 2019. They have the same months, they take the same days off, they go to work the same number of days. Maybe they get sick at a different time, there's change. But we do things so much the same that we don't even recognize change. Micro changes though go unnoticed for the majority of people unless you actually use the word micro changes. You're the only person I've ever heard use that word. Take the average person and take a look at what they do. And that's going to be 99% of the population. If you actually take the bell curve and look at the bell curve for um, how products are made, how um, medicine is actually handled. OK, so no, I'm not saying that, that you don't. What I'm saying, I'm not just talking to you. There's other people here, mister. Hello. So. Um, that bell curve will actually show 38% of everything we do in this world we do for the average person. And so because of that, and then you have to break it down into a lot, lot smaller groups, right? So the person who's not going to rec recognize those micro changes, right, is pretty much everybody across the whole spectrum. It doesn't even have a high bell curve. The bell curve is getting smaller. Why? Because we're doing so many things the same that we're not even recognizing change. So what do they tell you to do in the world? You see the world, everybody says the world's getting faster. The world's not getting faster. It's just not. The external world is telling us that we should move faster. And if you move at that pace, the world got faster. But when you actually slow down, which we are just talking about this, what I tell my clients, like, oh my God, how are we going to keep up with this? How are we going to do this? Everything seems to be moving so fast. They said, really simple, slow down. Stop. If you don't want to slow down, just completely stop and look. And actually ask yourself, what, what is really changing? What do I really need to do? Really, in parentheses, it's so important. What do I really need to do? And what you find out is not much. Not much. If you stop and slow down, you'll find out instead of doing thousands of things, you probably only have hundreds or tens of things that you actually need to do to actually create some change in your world. Human beings, your world, the human beings, the average individual's world is made up of three things. It's made up of your choices, and your choices can change. Your relations, and that doesn't mean just with the people around you, that means with Everything, how you relate to the world, and I mean the world, okay? Because I'm talking about what creates your world. As an individual, three things create your world, and that world can become very safe, and it's very different to the world. The world is millions of people, it's competition, it's compare and contrast, it's consumerism. And when you get stuck in that and think you're going to compete in that, you lose almost instantly. But if you come down here and you go, you know what, if I really look at this space, and I'm going to make this space mine, I've got choices. What choices have I been making, which would dictate where I've actually been and what my world was about? What choices could I make, which could dictate some of the goals or the lifestyle or the business, right, or the health um, or whatever I want? It could actually dictate what that's going to look like. It can give me what my future is going to look like. So that's choice. The next one, relations. How do you relate to the world? What do you really relate to? Are you relating to things that society's telling you you need to relate to? Do you have all the newest, latest gadgets? Do you have to have somebody? This is amazing. When you watch social media, 
I've, I'm, I'm out of a relationship. Two weeks later, I'm in a relationship. Why? Because I have to have love. Well, go fucking love yourself for once instead of telling yourself that somebody else has to love you first, right? Create the relations. What do you really love? What do you really want? What would you get rid of right this second if you could? And when I say if you could, because if I say you can get rid of anything, you know what people tell me? Oh, no, I couldn't. But I say, but what if you could? They go, well, then I'd get rid of, and they go through a list of things. And some of the things that they'd get rid of, they probably, and I've done this, have just put those same exact words, and you'll understand this, coach, on a list that they called important. So if you just put it on a list called important, and then you said I could get rid of it, which is it? Hmm, interesting. We don't know what we really and truly relate to. That's measurable. Choices, measurable. I'm a scientist. My degrees are biology, nutrition, nursing. I've studied behavioral biology and genetics. I love science. So if it's not measurable, if I can't measure it, it's not real. Okay? I look for the truth. I don't care about the world's measurement. Let me just be clear. I don't care about the world very much. Otherwise, I wouldn't have transitioned my gender in a time when people still look at me like I'm some kind of circus freak. Okay? So I don't care about other people's truth. What I do is I go through and I do my research. If you don't do your own research, it, you're taking the external world's word for what's taking place. I don't do that. That's why I can say very firmly that those two things, choices and relations, are the two main pillars that make up your life. Here's the third one. The third one is experience. Experiences. Those are the only three things that make up your world. All three of them measurable. If you get the same result, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, shame on you, not shame on the world. There's nothing wrong with you except for the fact that you haven't made a better decision about what you're relating to and then measuring the results that you're actually getting. Does that make sense? Those are the three things that make up your world. You can take any situation. I've taken executives who are telling me that they could not ever get into a partner role, and I've done three of those in the last eight months, gotten them to actually understand what they were doing. When you see people make a single, a single different decision, it affects everything that they are relating to, and they get a different experience. We all do this, by the way, subconsciously. We all do this subconsciously. But because we do it subconsciously, we adapt to it. I love your word, by the way. Thank you so much. You adapt to that, and then guess what? It becomes normal. And when something, we just talked about this as well, when something becomes normal, you stop thinking about it. When something becomes normal, you stop thinking. You go on autopilot. And you've heard this analogy before or metaphor before. How many of you have ever gotten home from your office or from your home to your office and then went, oh my God, how did I get here? Because you went on autopilot, okay? So I will tell you two things. One, I actually made the statement, human beings don't change, to be argumentative. No. <laughs> did you notice that? <gasps> But here's why I do it. Because what it does is it shows me that people really do want to change. We want things different in our life. We want to be the best, right? I'll give you a great, this is a really funny example. But you know anybody that's ever been to a, a psychic for a past life reading, 
right? So they go to a psychic for a past life reading, right? And they come back and they were kings or queens or movie stars or actresses. Nobody was homeless or a piece of crap, you know, living on the street. Nobody was like that. Everybody was the best. We always think of the best, but guess what we won't do? We won't do the things in between, I want the best, and this is where I'm at now. When you tell somebody this is exactly what you need to do to become successful, that does not guarantee that they'll become successful. There's still a very small percentage of people that will, okay? And so we won't change even when we know we can change and have exactly what we want. Not everybody's even willing to adapt. So when I tell you that this group of people sitting here is exceptional in the words you're using, I guess I would ask this next question. How do you actually live these exceptional words? Do you live these type of exceptional words? Do you make your life unique? Do you stop when you walk into your office and go, what am I going to do different today? Or what am I going to do the same if it's working? Okay. Because I can tell you firsthand, um, and James and I have known each other. James actually knew me prior to my transition for probably five years. Good, good five years. And um, I think you can definitely say I've changed just a little bit. But did I change? No, no. I actually went to an extreme and then actually had to come back and find my own balance because you have to get reintegrated into who you are. But James would know me from actually being uh, a sales trainer. And I worked with the Anthony Robbins. I was uh, his CEO here in Australia. But prior to that, I was training sales teams pretty much around the globe for him. And here's the thing that I learned about about people, and it's an amazingly funny thing. They can be getting incredible success in sales, and they get bored, so what do they do? They change it, throw themselves into chaos, right, and then have to refigure out what they already knew how to do. It's like, really? You gotta be kidding. So we have a tendency to actually self-sabotage ourselves. So that doesn't change either. But to me, um, and I, like I said, I said that initially to be argumentative, just to get you open and get some thoughts about what you said. But I'm curious, you said you live these words. What are some of the ways that you live your words about change? Change can be influenced either externally or with yourself. You can actually uh, influence it. But can I tell you from, um, we were talking earlier and I've done a tremendous amount of work uh, and I've actually created my own small science called uh, transbehavioral science. And it's based on studying lots of different groups, but who are in um, serious, going through serious transition, not just change, right? Going through something as serious as like what I'm going through. So women who've had you know, breast cancer and gone through mastectomies or um, people who've been very ill, people who've had nervous breakdowns, depression. I've worked with a lot of groups of those people. And here's what I've found out. We have, um, and I'm glad you put the word up there because words mean a lot to me because we use the wrong words for the wrong situation. We don't actually know what many words mean. One of my favorite words is conflict and we don't actually use the word conflict in its proper form. Because conflict, we believe, is, ooh, it's evil. It's, that's nasty. That's no good, right? It's inside me. That's not, I don't want my conflict. Well, you do, because conflict actually builds. Conflict actually builds. It's tension. 
And when you actually start to be more aware of the tensions that you have, you actually get a result earlier or prevent things from happening. And that is what you use conflict for. It's part of our intuitions. It's part of our reptilian brain. But our reptilian brain is connected to more of our body than it is to the front part of our mind. That's my belief. Um, but to give you the, the definition of transformation, most people get extremely disappointed when they get to the point of transformation because they go, oh, thank God, the finish line, I've made it. And transformation is the beginning. Transformation is not the end, it's the very beginning. And what happens at the, when you get to the point where you start into transformation is you have to reintegrate, why? Because there was an old you who went through and gained a whole bunch of new knowledge and now that really makes two of you inside one of you and you have to reintegrate. This sound familiar? Me. This is what I had, ended up going through. I'm actually in reintegration period right now. But once you get through reintegrating yourself, what you find out is you are back in what's called the beginner's mind. You are back to going, my God, so many more things are possible from this new position because I've allowed myself to be open. But many people get to, there's, there's actually three phases, and I won't go through all this with you tonight, but many people get all the way from here, go through the, the, the four different um, decisions that you have to make, they get all the way here to transformation and they end up going back over here to the very start. And that's called addiction. And that's what a tremendous number of people actually end up doing. Why? Because they got here, I'll get you in one second. They get to this point here and guess what they find out? They're disappointed, they're broken because of the fact that they thought that the beginning was here and this was the end. Let me explain something. From having studied this many people, so 200 interviews, most interesting thing that I got out of was two things. One, what they don't do in medicine and what a lot of coaches don't do is before you leave phase one, Instead of getting someone to make a decision to go into a transition in their life, what you do is you get them to make a commitment, and then you start to make decisions along the way. Why? Because if you do it in reverse, if I do a decision and then I start making decisions, I'm far more likely to quit, say, maybe two and a half weeks after New Year's when I drunkenly actually created a New Year's resolution. So if I create a commitment first, a strong commitment with many levels of belief, anchors, anchoring it in so it's very, very solid, you actually have to have so many reasons why they'll stick to this commitment. If I've got somebody who's ill, I don't have to push as hard, do I? I say, we need to get you back to health and I want you to think about your family. Those two things are enough those two things are enough to keep somebody committed all the way through. That's the first one, commitment before decision. Here's the second one, okay? The second one is actually pretty simple. We'll use the medical example again. What they do is talk to them not about getting back to their old life. They talk to them about what their life is going to be like. They talk to them about a single word called lifestyle. And if I take and I put lifestyle out here, 
and I start talking to you about that life. Now, once we get through this, this is what your life is going to look going to look like. You'll be able to do these things. You'll be able to do these things. There are certain things you won't, but we're going to actually set some goals then to get you to be able to do those as well. What I do with that person is, instead of saying, look, we're going to set goals, right? We actually talk to them about the lifestyle first, and then what we do is we build steps for that person so that they know exactly where they are. When I take a person and I build their lifestyle, and then I actually build these steps back, which you can actually call a map, I build that map for them, they will actually go on that journey with me. Because when I don't have those steps there, Right, and I just, if I just said, yeah, you're gonna have a different type of lifestyle, this is what it's gonna be like, and I don't tell you about the middle, it's no longer a journey, it's now called an expedition. Because you do not know what's going to happen, and you have highs and lows and ups and downs. And most people don't know what to do with a high, and they certainly don't know what to do when they get into a low. So this is what you do, you take a person, I learned all this from going through gender transition, isn't that crazy? but from, and interviewing all these people. But from taking someone from this point, there are so many times during this that they haven't made a commitment all the way to the very end where they will actually reverse their own decision and commitment. And that's why you have to use good, strong words. We have, that's a really great question. Are our motivations different when we're actually going through they're actually not. This is one of the other reasons why I say humans don't really change. Our motivations are so much the same. Why? Because so much of what we actually do is learned behaviors. It's not actually what we want to be doing. It's learned behaviors. We actually are not living our own lives in most cases. We're living our parents or we're living our grandparents' lives. So if you want a great example of that, look at unemployment. Unemployment here, okay, if you look at um, Australians and even versus Aboriginal, and then if you look at the states, right, what you'll find is five to seven generations deep on the dole five to seven generations deep. How the heck does that happen? Does that mean that we just raised a whole bunch of stupid kids? No. What we saw was a lifestyle. And so what we did was say, well, that must be my life. I can't go past my parents because I love, trust, believe in my parents. So I can't go past them, right? So there's, there's a lot of reasons. Our motivations we don't actually even get to our true motivations a lot of times. But I, I can tell you really quickly that when you, um, even talking to somebody who is very, who's not metaphysical at all, somebody who's very much about just, you know, facts and logic, if you take that person and you start talking about motivation with them, you're going to find very quickly that if they, even if they say, I don't believe in all that positive mental attitude stuff, right? That's great. You don't have to. But if you don't believe in it, here's all I want you to do. Really quick experiment for five minutes a day for only a single week. All I want you to do is sit for five minutes every single morning. And all I want you to say is, my life sucks. I'm sick. Nothing works out for me. Everybody hates me. I just want you to do it for five minutes a day. That's all. How many people would do it? Very few people will do it. Very few. You know, some, you know, maybe one or two big obnoxious people, but even they're worried as hell as to what's going to happen if they do that. But if that's true, that things can happen simply because of the belief we have and we're actually motivated by that, why don't we actually reverse it? 
Why don't we actually use it to the positive? Why don't we affirm what can happen? It's really simple. Two words actually come up, and this is in a lot of different philosophies. But the word fear is at one end of the spectrum, right? And what's the other word at the other end of the spectrum? Love. Love. Absolutely. But guess what? We don't have a good word or good feeling for love anymore. Oh, you can't say that in society, right? Can't even say that on Tinder, right? Let's fuck. <laughs> well, that's a sort of love, I guess. But, <laughs> but you make decisions out of those two things. Those are primary motivations. And you can take off of fear, you can say, what are the other motivations? Well, motivations can also be considered what drives your decisions. And one of the things human beings are most horrible at in this entire life is making decisions. We are terrible about making decisions for ourselves. Why? Because we're sitting there and we want to make a decision and another part of our brain lights up immediately and says, are you really going to do that? And if you listen close enough, it's your freaking mother, right? Or your father or an aunt or an uncle or a teacher, somebody. But typically when that conflict starts to go off in your brain, I'm not talking about conflict through your body, but it happens in your brain, right? It's not you. But you do argue with it, don't you? Oh, shut up. What do you mean? I don't have to stop. And you just go on and on. So you get over that conflict, right? But, so motivation and decisions, very much alike. But once you get over that conflict internally, then you actually end up facing the world. And the world, there's a tremendous amount of conflict there that actually tries to motivate you. And so we've stopped making our own decisions because all I need to do is, hey, what do I do to get motivated? Google, right? How should I live my life? Google right? Everything is Google. Stop Googling. Stop Googling your life. Look, at there is an absolute balance between internal and external. And when you actually balance those two, what you end up with is choice, okay? But when you are not listening internal and are making everything based on external, that's not a choice. Look, I can give you an opinion, as can most people give you an opinion, but I mean, we don't really know how that works. We actually claim you know, that we, we know certain parts of the brain, but we don't really know how to use the reptilian brain, how to access it. Um, some people will call it the subconscious, superconscious. Some people will say it's fight or flight. I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, ideas about it, but then you've got Catholicism and you've got <laughs> Baptist and you've got anything else that wants to actually have an opinion about really what is the, you know, the, the rights and the uses of the anatomy, physiology, and the mind. If you only learn, this is what I teach people, if you only learned 5% more about your body, 5%, and 5% more about how to use your mind, and 5% more about how to use and get into that spirit level of mind, 5%, you would be a freaking genius in this world. Seriously, you can become an expert in anything you want by knowing 5% more than what the average person knows. And here's the beauty. If you do it commercially, you're a jerk, in my opinion, because I think that's wrong. Because okay? people will go out and just start making money on it. This is why I got out of the speaking business initially. And you probably remember this. I got out of it because what they wanted us to do was not put all the things that we wanted to say in our first product. We had to buy the second product so you can get the real secret. And I'm not about that kind of crap. It's why I gave up on that. I could have stayed male and I would actually have been at one of the highest levels of the speaking arenas. But why I ended up going through my transition is because I 
had to. It was an imperative for me to actually get real. I was becoming such a jerk in my male life to cover up everything that was happening to me internally. I even called some of my old EAs and apologized for being such an ass. And the one was such a smart ass. She's like, oh, but you were such a great ass. <laughs> I'm like, that's not nice. But um, our motivations um, are so simple. Health, confidence, wealth, major one, right? But, but most of them are also external, not even internal. And here's the worst principle of all. We actually function mostly off of generalities, not off of specifics. And because of that, we get general results. And when we get general results, we have to keep going and make another decision. And guess what human beings don't like? They don't like to make decisions and they don't like to be wrong. So if you're wrong and you make decisions three or four times and you're constantly wrong, guess what you stop doing? Making decisions, right? So it kind of circles back around on itself. We don't change, not because we don't want to change, but because we've been told we can't. And so we don't. I'll leave you with this. Do you know how to train fleas? You get a jar and a cover. And what you do is you scoop up a bunch of fleas and you put them in and you put the cover on. And all of the fleas that go into the jar will keep jumping and jumping and jumping because fleas jump and they'll keep hitting their head and hitting their head and hitting their head. And even fleas are smart enough to know that after 1,010 times, they need to actually stop jumping so high because it hurts, right? So they barely touch the top or they don't touch the top at all. Eventually, guess what you can do? You can actually take the top off and not a single flea that you put in there will actually jump out. It will die, not jump out. Now, here's my question to you. How do you train human beings? Pretty much the same way. You put them in a place where they don't actually know how to make change. And they can't live these type of words. You guys are brilliant. And I mean that in all sincerity. Using instability, evolve, energy, using improved challenge, even profession. I've not heard that ever. I've never heard anybody use active hope. That's a brilliant statement. Act on it. Use it. But take and turn these into some very clear and specific steps, actions, ideas. And I'll tell you, that, and, and people always say this, but nobody actually ever follows through on it. If you look at my last six years, I've got over 30 journals. Why? Because I have written everything down. If you're not journaling your thoughts, what you feel, where you're having uh, parts of indecision, where you've made decision and following it through, if you're not measuring yourself, you're not going to follow through. It's so important to do that. And if you're not doing different forms of meditation, I get up every single morning at 5.30. I do my meditations, five of them, five different meditations. Three of them are for breathing, two of them are for my mind, and then one is just fully for stretching. So, sorry, two, two, and one. I do all of that. I only eat once a day. That's all I eat now. Once a day. Why? Because I went, why do I have to eat three times a day? Who told me I need to eat three times a day? I don't. At 59 years old, you know, I don't want to actually be eating three times a day because, well... You get the idea, right? But why do you have to do it, everything that everyone else does? You don't. You don't. You don't. Why do you coach the way you coach? Is it because the way you want to? Is you doing your coaching the way that you want it to be? Or are you following principles and strategies and reasoning? 
There's such a big difference. But don't go trying to change other people until you take time to stop or slow down and change yourself. Because once you do that, you'll be your best example. And from there, you can change a whole lot of people. So I hope you guys had a, at least got one or two good, interesting thoughts tonight. And I would love to hear from you. If you want to connect with me, I would love that. I'm always open for a good debate, as you can tell. <laughs> I absolutely love that, because you know what? I learned so much tonight from you. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. Thank you. Yay. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.